Hey everyone, and welcome to Patronage, a new limited edition show from the team behind Patron, an early stage venture fund investing in a broader gaming thesis. Join me, Amber Atherton, and my partners, Brian Cho and Jason Ye, as we host roundtable discussions with leading CEOs, founders, and industry experts, debating the challenges and ideas that will shape the future of the internet. This show is not investment advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Yang, general partner and co-founder of Patron. In today's episode, we are excited to dive into the topic of digital education and how to make learning more interactive, personalized, and fun. We're excited to be joined by two builders from one of the most innovative companies in education today, Duolingo, a company that strives to develop the best education in the world and make it universally available. First, we have Bob Meese, Chief Business Officer at Duolingo, and he is joined by Edwin Bodge, lead product manager on Duolingo Max, Duolingo's GPT-4-enabled personalized learning product. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast and thanks for taking part in the conversation today. I'd first like to start off by having each of you share a bit about your backgrounds and how you came to be at your current roles at Duolingo. Thanks so much, Jason, and great to join you today on the show. But hey, everybody, I'm Bob Meese. As Jason said, I'm the chief business officer here at Duolingo. Uh, I've been with the company for about the last seven years. And for me, I've uh, kind of looking back a little bit, I've been in technology for a while. So uh, last 25 plus years, I've seen a number of cycles. And so as we think about AI and the dawn of AI right now too, just reflecting back on some of the earlier trends that I've seen and how some of those lessons can apply towards our business going forward. Um, prior to Duolingo, I was with Google uh, for eight years from 2008 to 2016. Uh, the last role that I held there was leading the games team for Google Play. And so I, I feel like I'm in a really fortunate spot to kind of fit into your thesis about how we're seeing this convergence uh, of just like Duolingo. It, you know, obviously we're mainly a, a learning product, but we're part a game. We're just that there's so many different elements uh, that we bring together. And so for, for me there too, I, I, I spent those years building the team uh, at Google Play, but um, was looking to do something new at the end of that time. And I joined Duolingo in 2016 um, to help the team build the business. Uh, and so I joined when we were basically pre-revenue. Uh, and uh, that's gone really well, where we grew from a pre-revenue company to IPOing a couple of years back. Um, and there's a, a lot more that's exciting that we're looking forward to as well. And uh, Duolingo Max is definitely a big part of that. And so over to you, Edwin, for a, a quick part on your background. Awesome. Uh, I'm Edwin. I'm a product manager, and I've been here for about five years. Um, I've focused mostly my time on monetization and gamification, which is obviously really relevant to what we're hoping to chat about today. And over the last couple of years, I've worked a lot on our core subscription, Super Duolingo, and helped bring a lot of those features to life. So for instance, Practice Hub or Unlimited Hearts or some of our features that are available in our premium subscription, but have also worked on a lot of other parts of our, our app and our, our gamification mechanics for instance, introducing um, or reintroducing in-app purchases uh, into our, our monetization strategy and a few other things. And, and recently, uh, the last year or so, I've been the PM for Duolingo Max, uh, which was an early release partner with GPT-4 and OpenAI and helped bring a lot of generative AI to our uh, users, which has been a lot of fun. Excited to dig into that. Awesome. Well, yeah, really excited to chat. And I think one place that I want to start off is just talking a little bit about how gaming has played a role in shaping the product and business model and overall company mission at Duolingo. As we mentioned, we're first and foremost an educational product, but we believe that education doesn't need to be this 
this stale product that's boring that you're forced to do. It should be something that you're excited about. And when we think about gaming, it's it's back to Luis in terms of the, the earliest time of, of creating the product. Um, Luis is somebody who, who he's an entrepreneur who played games uh, as a kid. I, I think that's important. We're, we're reaching that point in the process where the leaders of companies are people who played games and that that has a big impact in terms of how people are building. Uh, for Luis, he's always thought about games with a purpose, though. And that that goes back to. You know, he 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 was a nerd. He, like he would he would be okay with us calling him a nerd. Uh, and so he was um, when he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon. He was doing some things around like image labeling games. And so there they were not the world's most fun game, but but there they, they were. He was having people like humans do things that like computers weren't good at, and and using games in those kind of contexts. Uh, and when I think about my time at, at Google as well, too, like Google obviously built a big platform uh, with Google Play around gaming, but like. During my time there, it never felt excited uh, about games. And there was a part of like how many hours are being consumed by by games. And it kind of was indifferent to it. I think for Luis and for us as a company, we see all of the, the game mechanics that are being designed. And when we think about games with a purpose, we think about how can we enable, like use those mechanics to help deliver something that's good for the world uh, in terms of starting with language education, but also expanding into other parts of education as well, too. So I think Luis being somebody who has played games and really looking at how those mechanics can work in service of delivering great education. And that's that's a really key part. And then also there's some similarities between our business model and especially free-to-play games where we, we monetize in a different way where we're primarily a consumer subscription business. But there are some similarities in terms of for us, it was important that we wanted to reach like many, many people you know, millions and tens of millions and hopefully someday hundreds of millions of people who are using our products. Uh, but we, we were like actually intending for like a relatively modest percentage of the people to pay, but to build a big business around that as well, too. And so that's I, I think like there's some high level similarities between game business models, specifically free to play, uh, you know, business models in, in what we've done. And what would you say, like, what have been some of the most impactful kind of like game mechanics or things that you guys have been able to introduce into the product that you feel like has created this kind of like sticky behavior and made, made learning more fun? Yeah, the um, the one that is the easiest to point to and the probably the one that's been around the longest is streak, um, which is, of course, a mechanic where every day that you log on, uh, you extend your streak one further day, which is really great for getting people to come back. I know Bob has a great quote even on your website um, just around at Duolingo, we believe that the hardest part of learning something is is staying motivated. So Streak is really, really amazing at keeping people back every single day. But there's another feature that's a little bit more recent that uh, was a really great driver for engagement that it's good to showcase, which is, we call leaderboards, uh, which is a pretty simple weekly mechanic um, where you're basically just put into a cohort of about 30 other or 29 other users, 30 users where you're competing for them, competing against them uh, for the amount of XP that you can gain in a single week. And it seems pretty simple. And actually, it's very intentional that it's really simple. Um, you know, we are a language learning app primarily. So as we add gamification features, a lot of what we're trying to do is not over gamify, but just add the right level of gamification so that we're not overwhelming the user and making the entire thing a game. We're just trying to make sure that gamification is in service of the core mission of the product, which is to learn a language. So leaderboards is something that we worked on a few years ago, but it's a great example of something that drove really good user engagement. We were looking for something to stack on top of the streak mechanics, so getting people daily, you know, day after day to come back to the app. 
but let's look for something that can increase time on app and also something that's on a different cadence, so on more of a weekly basis. Um, and we looked to a lot of other apps for inspiration. We actually ended up looking at match three games, especially to find like a pretty simple leaderboard mechanic that would work well for our users. Um, and we ended up uh, with a product that we leverage a lot um, to really increase time on app. Uh, people get crazy competitive over the leaderboards. And it's one that pairs really well with Streak because both of them are fairly simple. It's definitely not over gamified where it's pulling their attention away too much, but really does help increase time on app uh, with the leaderboards. Typically when people learn languages, it's either you're learning on your own. Um, it's like, it's like learning through materials or you're learning in an environment where you have like classmates and you're in a classroom and there's kind of that. And so how do you guys balance that idea of like a, a single player experience versus like the leaderboard where you're putting people into a broader community or helping to make people feel part of a bigger community and eventually getting to something that's multiplayer. Like, can you talk about how you think about kind of that, that type of dynamic from a, from a game standpoint? So when, when we think about Duolingo and the value prop that we have, um, fitting into your life is an important part of it. And, and so what we've, the starting point for us has been more of that single player experience. And because just like having it be convenient, having it be on your own terms, on your own time, has definitely been the clear starting point. But as Edwin mentions, we've had a number of, we always had an ambition to have the experience be more social because language by its its nature is is social. And so we've, in some ways too, we tried a number of things. Um, I think on the path of becoming more social, I tend to think like the V0 of social is around like profile. And so there, so we, we, we started building out like profile and having that be just like a, a better, more robust experience. And then over time, there have been like these lightweight, uh, social, really asynchronous interactions as well, too. And, and for us, the, 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 the overwhelming, uh, th there's a competitive part to it, but it's, it's really um, supportive as well, where for, for us, we, we don't want to discourage people as they're learning a language. We have this really positive mechanic called kudos, where once you're socially connected to somebody, you can basically like congratulate somebody for doing positive things within within Duolingo, and, and that's really encouraging. And we, we we have though it's it's definitely become more social. We've hit some of the the milestones that are that are fun to hit. We had, we had a story this Valentine's Day where we talked about um, two people who got married uh, who met on our leaderboards, and so it's so we've we've at least become that social where some of these milestones are being hit. And so it, it's really cool where when I started, we were very much in that single player experience. And, and we've found a way to balance that where we, we don't force somebody in, into this multiplayer experience. If somebody wants Duolingo to be just more by themselves, we, we, that's totally fine. But, but overall, we think that it's, it's better with others. And so we will nudge you towards um, connecting with others and, and having that more social experience. That makes sense. And yeah, I think like there's a degree of like you you initially need the fun to make people have that habit of like coming back every day. And I think that's something you guys nailed much more so than a lot of even gaming apps. And then I think the, the next, next layer when it has to do with like education or training, like healthy habits is like a degree of like accountability and support. And I think being able to, even if it's like a looser connection, but having the ability to like recognize accomplishments and feel like you're part of a group that's collectively improving, um, seems like something that could be, yeah, it could definitely like reinforce that behavior for, for a longer time. Um, cool. Well, uh, I think that the other kind of main topic we wanted to dive into around kind of new technologies integrating into the product is, is around AI. And I think AI is like top of mind for a lot of people today, given 
uh, ever since OpenAI launched ChatGPT and, and brought in access to their large language model. And so I'm just curious, like, from your standpoint, how did you guys initially start exploring that space and how did you start thinking about what it could do for, uh, for learning? You know, AI is uh, very popular right now. Um, part of it too is just like taking the longer arc of like the last several decades of there's, there's a lot of excitement. I, I think some of the excitement right now is very much earned. And then also like the, the hype is kind of overwhelming as well too, right? So it, it's kind of, it's, it's on all of us to navigate, okay, what, what is real and deserved and then what is getting a little bit out of control? Uh, where, where for us, just kind of generalizing to technology uh, because we've always been a company that has built our business around technology and that has allowed us to really scale where, it, you know, especially when I joined where we were making no money, uh, you know, it was just like venture capital funded, obviously, but um, but there it was like a, a modest group of people. We what, one thing was quite good is we basically invested all of our resources in ma- into making the product better. Uh, where Luis talks about this, we weren't wasting a bunch of money on marketing, but we were basically just like focused on making the product better and on reaching as many people through technology. And we, we were, you know. There's a debate over like, okay, where does AI begin and end in machine learning and everything else as well too, right? But we've, for the longest time, we've, we've bet on technology. Um, and for, for us, we, we have a, a goal to reach as many people as possible, as well as to obviously teach as well as we can. And for us, we, we don't think that technology teaches as well as a human tutor teaches, teaches right now, but we think that technology is definitely getting better faster uh, and allows us to scale. And so, Edwin, over to you in terms of just some of the things that we've explored. I don't know if you want to talk about with our early days with OpenAI or just some of the experiences of, uh, of building Max. So um, in September of 2022, uh, OpenAI approached us. We had a kind of a connection between two PMs of the company. Um, and they had a demo of what eventually became GPT-4. They were called, I think, codenaming it DV at the time. Um, they didn't know what to call it exactly. But... Um, we had played with GPT-3 in the past. We actually have a number of, of products already that are built upon GPT-3, and we were a very early adopter of those technologies, so we had a great relationship already with OpenAI. Um, but we had never built anything that kind of mirrored tutor-like quality teaching, which is what we were always really interested in. Like, could someone explain a concept to you? Could you have a conversation back and forth with them? Could they give you feedback? Those kind of things that a human tutor does really well, but we're not able to replicate with technology right now. So in September 2022, OpenAI uh, reached out to us and they had this demo of early GPT-4. And one of our other PMs kind of started doing a few demos with them. I think the first one that he did was to just write a fairy, fairy tale about a girl from Karachi who, who dreams of being an astronaut. And then a few other things. I think he had it rewrite it as like a really beginner scenario. We call it a CEFR level, uh, but like an A1, very early beginner um, speech. Had it rewrite it like that had it translated to Spanish. He asked it to write some multiple choice questions to test if you comprehended what it said. And then I think also like did some other funny stuff like, you know, let's try and role play a scenario where you're talking to a really energetic teenage girl uh, who's trying to tell you, you know, where you should go in Mexico City. So we tried a bunch of these things and just were blown away by this demo. I think pretty much everyone had this experience when they first saw ChatGPT um, where they realized, oh, this, this is significantly better than GPT-3. Um, I hadn't seen that demo, but I saw a demo that our CEO gave me, which was like an 8 a.m. calendar invite on a random Tuesday where he pulled me aside, showed me a demo. I think he just typed in, why is je ne, je ne passe wrong, which is a French sentence that's incorrect. And it just gave this yeah. eloquent answer. 
And he turned the laptop to me, showed it to me and said, I don't care what you're doing right now. Just pivot your team and go figure this thing out. So from that date, which was September 24th of 2022, have it burned in my brain. Um, and it might not be a Tuesday, but from that point, we set a deadline to get Duolingo Max, which is our full subscription, out the door by the time that OpenAI launched GPT-4, which ended up being in March, which is a pretty aggressive timeline. Um, but we're really excited that we were able to jump right on it. And obviously, just the, the demo spoke to how strong GPT-4 was and how much we, we realized that now the technology that we thought was going to take four or five years to get there was, was in our hands. And so we, we jumped right on it and uh, went ahead and, and pushed forward and launched Duolingo Max. What would you say, like, after seeing that demo, working on the earliest versions of Duolingo Max and trying to figure out, like, what is the, what is, like, the V1 that you can ship uh, in terms of whether it's, like, personalized tutoring, explaining answers? Like, can you just talk through, like, like how did you guys think through, like, what are the initial kind of, like, end-user-facing experiences versus, like, what are some of, like, the longer-term things you're excited about in terms of giving people access to effectively a personal tutor, which is very inaccessible to most people around the world. Yeah. No, I think we're, we are really excited about the accessibility that it creates. I think we've, we've long been excited about the idea of being able to, you know, connect a student to a tutor or something that looks like a tutor, but obviously that's extremely expensive as it is today. So we're really hoping that tech embedding on that technology will continue to make that more and more scalable. So that's our, our long-term view is being able to get it to as many users as possible. And we're really excited about where GPT-4 and other models will push us. Um, the way, the way we started to think about what should we actually build? We have this thing. We have pretty laser focus, I think, on what some of the top, like the top issues are with Duolingo today. A couple of them are around uh, helping users speak better and actually communicate in the real world, um, around explaining some explicit topics. So for instance, adult learners really care about what are the rules of grammar or vocabulary or things like that. It actually is a little bit better to learn implicitly where you just do a lot of reps. And that's why there's so many reps on Duolingo and why we try to get people so engaged and we gamify to keep people coming back. But adult learners really just crave knowing, okay, why is this conjugated this way? And that's a need that learners have on our app. So there are a few more needs like this uh, that we really understood learners were looking for and we hadn't been able to deliver on with previous AI models. And then we married that with a hackathon that we did. So this post-September 24th, we just dropped everything that we were doing. We ran like a week and a half hackathon where our team just started throwing prompts around and trying to figure out what kind of things we could do. And we figured out that GBD4 is really good at role play. So having that conversation and applying your conversation to the real world. It was really good at giving feedback on your conversations and also really good at explaining concepts. So like, why is Jenna Passe wrong and stuff like that? It was pretty bad at a couple other things, uh, which we're hoping to eventually get to. One of them that it's not great at right now is like summarizing mistakes. So say you make right. 10 mistakes and we want to tell you, hey, you really are terrible at past tense because you made these three or four mistakes that are past tense related. It's actually not good at that. It kind of guesses. That was one where we thought it was going to be really great, but we're, we're still working on a, a new way to do that. And that's something we're excited for in the future. But in summary, uh, we, we took the time to really figure out what are the limitations of this new technology and married that with what are those learner needs that we know we're not able to deliver on in a pre-GPT-4 world. Yep. And that's how we came up with the two features, which are explain my answer and role play. And yeah, I think for a lot of people's kind of initial exposure to AI right now, it is like entering uh, intelligent chatbots and having more of like a conversation with, uh, with an AI. 
And then the other is like using AI to generate images or eventually generate like 3D assets and, and things like that. I think, I think one potentially interesting one is just this idea of like taking that conversational learning one step further and actually not just typing sentences in resp response to each other, but actually like talking to someone or like talking to a speaking partner and, and practicing conversational language skills. Um, yeah. Can you talk a bit about how like that, that's something you guys are starting to like dig into or what you make of that? We had a meeting about it uh, earlier this morning. We are eventually wanting to get to a world where it's a lot more interactive. You're speaking, you're speaking directly to one of our characters. So there are a few things I'd want to touch on here. The first one is we did start with the chatbot, the typing based format where you kind of text back and forth for a few reasons. One was it was just the most obvious. Uh, it was quick for us to get to, and it was a pattern that we had seen already with these, these new models. But the second one is that speaking is one of the hardest things to do as a new learner of a language. And so that's something where we have to be a lot more thoughtful about how we both gamify and also scaffold the experience for really beginner users. For instance, if I were to start learning Japanese tomorrow, I speak zero Japanese, it would be really hard to have that speaking conversation. It's what I want to get to, but we have to sure. kind of step users there. So it's a natural place for us to start with more of a typing experience, though the next things, and actually we just started working on these, are trying to make it more of that speaking conversation so you're actually able to use what you would use in the real world. I'm probably not going to write down my conversation on a sticky note and show it to somebody if I travel to Tokyo. Yeah. The other uh, thing that we're really excited about is, as you said, more of making it feel like you're actually speaking to someone. Right now, our role-play interface is a little bit more like a text message back and forth. Yeah. And there's a little character avatar, kind of like you would see in iMessage, a little somebody's head that's typing back and forth. Uh, we are working now to make it a lot more that you're speaking directly to one of our world characters. So Duolingo has another gamification aspect, which are our 10 Duolingo world characters. So there's Duo, yeah. the owl, and then a bunch of other characters like Eddie and Lily uh, who comprise the Duolingo world. And they're a huge part of our brand and also a reason why we're positioned really well in, in, in all of this AI uh, world. And we're really trying to make sure that their personalities come out really well, that you're actually looking at an interface where you're staring straight at Eddie or Lily, whoever it is. Their mouth is moving as they're speaking the words back to you. Their emotions change on their facial expressions. So we're using a lot of cool new technologies to really bring those characters to life and make it feel like you're really having a real world conversation with one of those characters. I think that makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, there's like there's the learning that you do studying like grammar and learning vocabulary and then there's just being an environment where you're actually interacting with other people or you're having like live conversation you have to think on your feet like how to respond how to come up with the right way to say something and and i think that's the piece where for for a lot of people e even like so prior to ai prior to like these digital platforms like finding those environments where you can actually do that where you can immerse yourself and be around other people is is tricky especially if you're like doing this ahead of like when you plan to travel or ahead of thinking of uh, going and living abroad and, and things like that. So I think like putting that capability in everyone's pocket is something which will be very, will be very powerful. It's also one where um, it's, it's a little bit like eating your vegetables. It's as soon as you put that in front of somebody and say, Hey, here's a tutor or here's Bob who speaks Spanish, like go talk to him and try and actually practice your Spanish. When you do that in front of another human being, it is terrifying. It's really, really <laughs> scary. And that's a lot of the reason why gamification and putting that character in front of you and having them make funny expressions when you say something a little weird actually works really well because students are, or learners are a lot more willing to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes when they're in front of an AI as opposed to in front of another human being. 
And the other thing, too, is you can really tell the learner a lot through the gamification. So if, as I kind of mentioned earlier, if you make a mistake or you say something kind of weird, we can have the character maybe make like a concerned face at you, which is something that we're starting to work on with one of our animation teams. You can have their emotion or their, the emotion of their tone change a little bit with some of our other TTS models. You can do some other things that give some cues as if you were speaking to somebody in the real world. But to the learner, it, it's going to feel a lot more gamified and fun as opposed to really scary if my French tutor actually made a mean face at me when I said something dumb. So that, that's where gamification really comes into play a lot. That makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, there, there's always that, like, you don't want to disappoint the person. You're afraid of, like, embarrassing yourself. And so having, creating, like, an environment where, like, people feel more free to, like, express themselves, but then don't necessarily feel judged like, if something doesn't go right, especially when it relates to language. Um, but yeah, I guess that, that leads to the, another topic around just like education overall, like learning online, learning in classrooms, like it covers many different topics and verticals. And so just curious, like from, from your standpoint, like what, what do you guys feel like either Duolingo as a broader platform or even just like AI is like very suited for like, uh, helping people learn things more effectively? I think for when we think about learning, we, we really do. I mean, Edwin had, had mentioned that quote around the hardest thing about learning something new is, is staying motivated. And they're just like re really being engaging as well, too, where because, you know, we've we'll, we'll like books have been around forever. And, and a lot of these things can be learned in books by people with sufficient motivation. But we're trying to reach as many people as possible. And so we're, we're trying when we think about learning, how do we build the most engaging experience possible and, and there's 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 a number of different elements or capabilities that go into that we've talked about gamification and a, a lot of what we've done from a, a product perspective uh, we've, we've talked about the technology as well too with ai and just bringing in some of those new capabilities as well too and then edwin was mentioning a little bit on like the creative side where that's um that i think that's part of our brand but that's that's newer and maybe people are, are less familiar with that part or we we do have the the owl mascot and it's it's more familiar but we we did build out the you know this duolingo world with uh 10 or so characters a couple of years back and it's it's funny where in certain places in the united states for example uh duo the owl is like clearly the most popular uh actually in in china right now actually our character lily uh, is the most popular. And so when something goes viral in China, it's often Lily. And so that's that's a pretty interesting signal. And on, on that creative side, we're working on characters, we're working on story and narrative. And we, we acquired an animation studio last year as well, too. So we're, we, we, you know, as I mentioned before, we're an education company, but we're an interesting blend of capabilities where we don't think about ourselves as fitting neatly into one box. We think about blending these deep, different capabilities and, and kind of Jason, as you said, like we think about next generation learning, really having it be um, just like really engaging. I, I, I just I am um, I, I have learning of all ages, but I have kids and I, I just see all the different ways for them to entertain themselves. And then also I'm trying to encourage them to learn they, they use Duolingo, but it, it feels like it's a little bit of an arms race, right, of is, is entertainment becomes more and more engaging. The, the learning products that we create similarly feel like they need to also become more and more engaging. Yeah, and I, I have two daughters, five and seven years old. And I think one thing which uh, was very eye-opening as they were starting to go through elementary school is this, the idea of like having teachers that made learning fun and made going to school fun. And it's something that people look forward to, not something that you just know you have to do because 
your parents say you have to do it or you need to get through the weekday to get to the weekend kind of thing. And I think the more you can reinforce in people of all ages, like how do you make someone look forward to doing some activity that ultimately is good for them, helps them do things that they might not know about today, but might want to do in the future. Like that's something which is which is critical. And, and I do think like in terms of broadening this like world of having these like characters that resonate and have meaning and can build relationships is something that can be powerful because those are the like those are like over time AI could even make these characters come to life even more and be more accessible and, and engaging. And so I think just like finding the fun in learning is something that is is critical like of, in any age, but especially like when you're when you're growing up. The thing you just mentioned there at the end is a big part of our strategy with our role play feature, which yeah. is as we make the character more prominent, as you're having more of that conversation with the character. For instance, Lily, this one who's very popular in China, is this emo teenage girl who kind of hates everything, but at the same time is is pretty great. Um, and we're able to use GPT-4, where previously it's really hard to write a bunch of scripts for a bunch of different characters and actually have yeah. their personality come out. We're now starting to experiment with these things called plot twists where midway through a role play, maybe like the kitchen catches on fire and Lily has to help put out the fire or something like that. And the some of the ones we've been exploring with recently where we put in a lot of her personality, we say, OK, this is an emo teenage girl who hates everything and really hates her job. All she wants to do is go draw um, the role play plot twists come out really funny where it's all of a sudden like Lily's like, oh, well, sorry, guess you're not going to get your pizza. And uh, it's that's a really great opportunity with AI for us to leverage the character personalities and really have those come out just so that it's not us in a, in a room talking about these characters, sure. but so that all of our learners can actually start to understand them and think, well, yeah, like I want to go have this conversation with Lily. I want to see how she responds in this weird situation that I just put her in. I, I think back to so like both of our daughters were actually born in Berlin. So we raised them abroad. They were going to bilingual German English preschool, very little traditional like math and reading learning, but a lot of like props and toys and costumes and things around the classroom. So most of their day, this is when they were going to school from like ages two to five. It was role play. It was just like taking on different characters, interacting with different people in their class in these different characters. And I think that's something that we see more broadly, like on platforms like Roblox, like it's it's people role playing in different scenarios and playing as different characters in all these different environments. And in that sense, it's like more of a place that they're hanging out with their friends and role playing than it is like playing a specific game that has like a specific outcome. And so I do think like over time, like that role play activity is going to become a bigger part of like how people kind of like connect and interact with each other and then uh, potentially even like learn. Um, I, I guess on, on that point, like, how are you guys thinking about, so you mentioned like learning more broadly and then Duolingo, I think over the years has gone, built a really strong brand around language learning and teaching people how to speak a new language. Um, how do you think about like other subjects that make the most sense for the current product to kind of like bridge into? And then just like, what, what are other areas that you're excited about kind of new technologies changing how people learn. A couple of great points in there, Jason, around um, the core business around language and, and new subjects and then new tech to help people learn. But, but one of the things we've, we've um, realized is just how big the language opportunity is. And so that because that, we, we, we are working on new things, too. But I always just I've been, I've been training. I've been taught where we get some thoughts over like, oh, the, the, the core app will get this big by whatever metrics. And any time we've underestimated, we've done that at our at our own peril, right? Where yeah. the core business has proven itself to be like 
bigger than we imagined. And there's like all these extensions as well, too, which has been which has been really exciting. But we, we, we have started to talk about how we, we want to expand beyond language and, and we're doing that. Um, the earlier subjects are, are, are still quite small. For example, we launched a math application uh, about six or so months uh, ago. And, and there, the, the ambition is to teach math in, in the Duolingo way as well, too, to do it in, in a fun and engaging way. And y you're right that a big part of our brand is around language. But I, 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 um, as we expand, I, I, I do think that, that our brand is broader than that. Because you will see the like the Duolingo for X, whatever that whatever that is, right? You'll you'll see that, and it can be like any number of things, right? You, you can definitely have like the Duolingo for math or coding, or yeah. wackier or weirder things as well, too. Uh, but but there, I, I think that is an interesting signal that our our, our brand does extend beyond, and, and so that that's like uh, that's really promising for for us. And so as we start to to expand to other subjects. Some of what Edwin was talking about before of just you know that experiential learning by doing experience is is something that we think is is core, and so Luis will say like uh, you're you're unlikely to see like Duolingo philosophy. You're like uh, who knows what's something. I mean that that's definitely not the the next place we're going to expand to something where it's like long essays, but something where where it is something like math, uh, where you're learning by doing, and there's some benefit to the repetition. Uh, and, and you're building these lifelong skills as well, too, is, is something that we're looking towards. And so we have the math product. Uh, we, we've talked about having a, a, a music product uh, It's in development as well, too. And so you'll, um, you'll, you'll see us have, we're not going to launch a, a ton of different subjects, but it, it clearly is really important to us to, to expand beyond language. And we actually think we'll be successful in doing that. That, that makes a lot of sense. Because I think at the end of the day, it's like there's a lot of things where you associate practicing and learning with not fun. <laughs> so for, for all those things where you can actually inject the fun and interactivity in it, it seems like a, a vertical that could be ripe for disruption. Um, that being said, especially coming out of COVID and now people are traveling again and there's more opportunities than ever to like study abroad, to like live and work abroad. Um, it, it's clear that the world, it seems like it's getting smaller and it's important for people to to like develop language skills, get exposed to new cultures. And I think that those are certainly two things that you guys are a big kind of driver of like helping people like move, move in that direction. Yeah. Um, I, I guess like moving to the last subject, just broader, like as you guys have been one of the earlier kind of like test partners for OpenAI and working with GPT-4, what do you make of the broader kind of consumer AI landscape? And like, what are some things that you guys personally find like interesting or uh, exciting to either play around with at this stage or that you feel like is something that could be could be worth following in the coming months and year? The main thing that I have had a lot of interest in and just am excited about is just the ubiquity of all of these technologies. I think right now I was at a graduation this past weekend where someone quoted that they went back and like asked ChatGPT something. And I think that's A, already becoming something that's really of interest. But the other thing is in my mind, like over time, that'll be as simple as saying like, I'm just going to Google something. Like no. I, it's going to be so ingrained. Like if I Google search something, it's going to be under the hood, a, a generative AI that's actually giving me a response back. It's just going to become somewhere where my parents will know what it is. They'll use it all the time and maybe not even realize it. I think that's something that's really exciting. And that's why we're excited where we're at the forefront of this. We see this as being something that's going to be pretty ubiquitous across all consumer products in some fashion. I don't think it's going to look like a chat bot necessarily, even worse, yeah. to take our products away from that quite a bit. 
um, since we realize that learners don't always know the right question to ask. They don't always know how to interact with the chatbot. So we're really just trying to make sure that generative AI is making its way into our products, not just in a chat format, but in these other immersive products in a role play scenario in a explain an answer to me, maybe not as a chat, but as actually like something in the product that looks a little bit more like the rest of Duolingo. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think we're trying to follow a lot of other consumer products, whether it be Spotify or any of these other places that are doing a lot of cool stuff with Gen AI. I think we're just trying to make sure that we're staying on the forefront of it. And I think already our, our really early and quick to the punch launch with Duolingo Max has been a pretty good proving ground for that. That, that makes sense. I, I You might feel like I have a bias towards just Something with utility as well in those, like not like the big grand product, but like even Google with like IO recently had some, uh, some good examples of like the, the, the very basic like Gmail, like the, the automatic reply in Gmail that was like super, super basic years ago. And there it's, I, I think the complex systems start as simple systems with a lot of iteration and they go through it too. And, and that's, so, so when I think about the use cases, it's, what, what are the things that I'm doing in, in daily life? And it can be as mundane as, you know, Google Docs and Office applications, you know, these types of things. But finding ways to shave off some, some time or to make those experiences more collaborative, uh, that, that, that's really meaningful to me. And so I, I look at those. I, we were, um, in terms of just for the engineers at Duolingo, uh, we've been using Copilot for some time. And that's like, that's you know, we're, we're a tech company and already we're seeing some gains there that, that feels quite real, uh, in, in terms of that application. And so I, I, I think that this, this latest wave towards Gen AI is, is real, uh, is, is we're, we're riding that wave though. I'm just like trying to have a critical, critical eye towards, okay, why is something becoming overhyped and it's, and people are, the, the, the ratio of like talking to doing, uh, is, is something we, we pay attention to, right? When it's all the talk and then there's you no know, people actually using the service, that's, that's not great versus where, where is the usage act actually happening? Uh, and, you know, that's obviously happening like on ChatGPT, on some of these enterprise applications, then we're trying to be uh, one of the leading applications for, for consumer mobile. There's using something for the sake of testing something new. And then there's using something as a way to like better solve existing problems. And I think that's something where we can all probably collectively look back at the last like 10, 15 years of the internet, it just, it doesn't feel like many things have come out that actually save time or actually make things more collaborative. If anything, it's just like, they're all search interfaces that produce like slightly better advertising, like targeting and, and allows you to like shapes what you see based on like how much people are spending to get in front of you. And it feels like for the first, for one of the first times, like there's technology that should make the internet smarter and help you actually get the information you want, the things you want to buy, the things that you need to, the things that you need, like closer to you, as opposed to like, you have to navigate through this like web of, uh, of like sponsored posts and links to, to get there. But, um, but yeah, and, and I think like ultimately that like having utility is, is key and understanding like what people are actually motivated to do and then using technology to deliver that is like, is the edge. And so I think from that standpoint, it seems like you guys are, you guys are definitely onto something. Um, I guess to close, I, I'm curious, like, what are you guys seeing in terms of like the early usage of Duolingo Max? Is it like the people that were already like the most engaged with the product that are just finding new ways to use use the product, or have you found it actually appeal to like a new type of learner that is more likely to engage with this type of um, learning style versus uh, the core of the core product? We're definitely finding 
we're, we're obviously going to have those users who are the most engaged, always at the forefront, yeah. you know, top of the leaderboard, whatever it is that, that are the most interested in just getting the most out of Duolingo. But that, I think that's with any consumer product. You don't, sure. You're always going to have those people who are either your golden cohort or just those people who always want the best, no matter what. They don't yeah. care what it gets. So you're going to have those users. We've, those have delivered. I think there is a really big other group of people who or of our learners who have looked at some of our other premium products and thought, these yeah. are interesting. They help me use the product more, unlimited hearts, no ads, some of our other features sure. yeah. help increase their engagement. But these are some of the first products that I think they've looked at and said, dang, this is really going to level up what I'm doing on this product. Yeah. And we've gotten really great feedback from them. There are some places where obviously we're always trying to make these features better. For instance, like with Roleplay, we've talked a ton about just making it more fun and more engaging. And yeah. that's one where, of course, we're trying to balance that learning aspect of things, but also trying to really supercharge how fun it is. And, um, yeah, we've seen, seen really good engagement from, from the winners who are kind of the new ones, uh, to one of our premium products. Well, yeah, that, that's it on my side. So th thank you guys both for taking the time to join us today. It was incredibly fun and we're very fortunate to have both of you come on to chat about like what you guys are doing at the forefront of, uh, injecting AI into a really fun learning experience. Um, so yeah, thank you guys very much. Yeah. Thank you for, Thanks having, for having us. us it's been a lot of fun.